morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Tuesday morning. We have plenty of action for you across the NBA here on the Daily Ding, the NBA morning show on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jared Weiss. I am joined by Trayvon Edwards. Trey, what's going on, man? What's going on, Jared? Perfect time to talk to someone in New York because we're leading off the show with the battle for New York. And it was the Knicks taking an early lead in this game and then unsurprisingly that disappearing pretty quickly. The Nets beat the Knicks 117-112. to 112. Let's start at the end because there's a really interesting ending where Julius Randle goes up for a three that could be a potential game tire. And I guess the defender hit the ball. And so he comes back down and tries to dribble the ball, but he's called for a dribbling violation and he ends up freaking out ended up tossing a chair or kicking a chair just losing his mind on his way out the door what'd you think of that play and just the way that this game ended rightfully so scott foster he blew it that was supposed to be a quote-unquote block attempt um the ball was touched you know it went in the wrong direction not saying that the knicks would have won the basketball game but it would gave him at least a chance but as far as how julius randall acted I think his emotions got the best of him and, you know, tossed a chair and I'm pretty sure he'll have some comments after. But for the most part, very impressive from the young Knicks, you know, to compete against this team. They trailed very big and then fought back, clawed back and, you know, had a had a good look at potentially sending us to some, uh, you know, some extra basketball. I mean, credit to Randall. He he was terrific closing out this game, except for on that one play. He had, I think, three buckets in the final two and a half. He was really going stride for stride against Harden and Kyrie. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he deserved to be an all-star this year. He continued to play at a high level. And, you know, I think with their team, if they can stay healthy and, you know, continue to, to play at, at the level that they're playing, I think they'll make the playoffs. You know, it's still young and a lot of, growing pains to go through, but but Randall's been the most consistent player on their team. Okay, so let's talk about the winners, and I wish this game was more unique, but this was James Harden and Kyrie Irving closing things out per usual. They never fail. They really don't. Yeah, uh, the Nets continue to roll, you know, in, on, on their end. Without KD, they're still not missing the beat. James Harden's continue to, you know, his turnovers are pretty high, but I mean, his passing is exceptional. You know, guys like Kyrie still shooting the ball extremely well and just playing at a high high level. DeAndre Jordan's playing very well. And, you know, once they get Blake Griffin in about two weeks, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think it's too many teams in the East that can beat these guys. Very scary sight. Do you think they're gonna be closing games out with Blake out there? Mm, I don't think they'll force it. That's the thing. I, I like I like how they're trying to bring him on right now at the moment and, and slowly just work him in. I don't think it's a force to just flex their muscle. They want him to be a you know, at least to close to the highest percentage that he possibly can be and, and, and give his best performance, you know. And and at this point, even although he has had a big name all through his career and, you know, former all-star, and he may be a shell of himself. He may still have something left in the tank. That's not for me to um, say. But I think with them taking their time and not having any pressure to bring Durant or Griffin back works in their favor, you know. And, and it wasn't a high risk. It's not like they – gave up the house for him. They signed him for $1.2 million, so he's actually probably the lowest-paid player on the team. So I like it. Yeah, it's funny because he he's clearly was washed this year, but things change really quickly when you put on some new laundry. And 
he was playing for the worst team in the East. Now he joins who I think is the best team in the East, and that could change a lot. And it's especially when you're looking around the league at guys like JJ Redick, PJ Tucker, a lot of these other buyout candidates who have been pretty bad for their teams this year, mostly because they're shooters and they've been shooting poorly. There's a reason why all the top teams are still interested in these guys. It's not like all the top teams just like you know, picture the name and they don't even do their research to see if these guys are good. You know, we all watched Blake Griffin this year. We all saw that he was completely watching and barely move, but I would not be surprised to see if he ends up being a much more dominant version of what we saw earlier this year, which is great because I mean, while he does a lot of the same stuff that Durant does as far as operating out of the high posts and all that kind of stuff, he, he can both be a supplement to Durant and, they can still close with him out at the four because, I mean, they've shown this year they can close with Jeff Green out there at the five. Right now, DeAndre Jordan is closing as the center and Jeff Green is playing the four, but that's obviously going to change when KD comes back. So there's a lot of really exciting developments uh, to come from the Nets. It's amazing that a juggernaut like this still has like kind of a whole new wrinkle to come in the second half of the season. So I guess just last thing on this game, after seeing... Brooklyn kind of hold off and Knicks run late. The other night they held off the Celtics run late. I mean, do you feel like Brooklyn has kind of found their identity and hit their stride and this is the team that we should expect to see for the rest of the year? Yes, I think they continue to get stronger and they're getting battle-tested by these close games and figuring it out. And, you know, overall, um, should, should be the favorites. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Let's head over to Charlotte, where, once again, the Kings blow it at the end to the Hornets. They win 122, Charlotte does, to 116 to the Kings. The Kings were leading this game wire to wire all the way up until Gordon Hayward hit some free throws uh, to go up 113 to 111 on what was it? I think that was the dunk that he had where he posterized the Aaron Fox and got the N1. I mean, he was phenomenal closing this game out. Terry Rozier with another huge crunch time with a really clutch contested three and the free throws to ice it. Charlotte continues to be the most entertaining league pass team in the league. Yeah. Oh, man. They need. Listen, I don't know who slot they need to take for more national games, but it's time. They are must see basketball. I don't know if it's from Scary Terry or LaMelo Ball, even Gordon Hayward. bro. He's catching bodies. You know what I mean? How many more? You know what I mean? He's on the back of his jersey dunking on cats, dog. Like they're really hooping. And uh, that's that's credit to what they're doing over there, man. It's great to see James Borrego finally getting to you know have his record reflect how good of a coach I think he's been over the last couple of years. But it's just been amazing to see the shots that they're hitting at the end of these games. It's like these guys never miss when it comes to a difficult clutch shot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I mean, just even watching this game, dude, I was just looking at it, like going back and forth. You think that with so much time left that, that a younger team like the Hornets will let this slip away and they just claw back and just got through some adversity. And I think that, that credit is to Gordon Hayward, keeping it all together, you know what I mean? Like him and Rozier both been in the, the, the trenches with Boston and bringing that experience over there. I mean, guys are playing with high confidence. All right, so we know the Hornets are good. We've kind of we've gone over that enough. We got to talk about the Kings here because the Kings just things just keep breaking against them no matter what. And literally in this game, we had Marvin Bagley breaking the fourth metacarpal in his hand. So we'll see how long that keeps him out for, or maybe if he even is able to play through it. But let's talk about like De'Aaron Fox. So De'Aaron Fox, he's the big star of the team. And in that last stint that he played, he came in with about two and a half minutes left in the third quarter, had a layup right away, ends up with, I think, five dimes in that stretch and then three buckets to close it out. But then at the end of the game, right when things start to slip away, it seems like it's Buddy healed with the ball in his hands for the most part. There doesn't seem to be this harmony with the Kings about how they're able to close out these games. And you think they would want the ball in De'Aaron Fox's hands as much as they can because he's such a great creator. I mean, what, what do you think is going wrong here at the end of these games for Sacramento? I mean, lack of depth, youth, internal stuff. They started off hot and, you know, just kind of cooled down. Marvin Bagley now has been lost to an injury. Halliburton's still showing signs. But, like, again, you can't be inconsistent in this league, especially playing in the Western Conference. And, Although you want to see them turn a corner, I, I hate it for anyone to lose their job, but Luke Walden, he's just not doing a great job with this group. It's funny, that's not the first time that that's been talked about, at least when I'm hosting the show. I'm sure it's been ha- talked about when other people are hosting the show. I'm sure it's been talked about a lot on the, across, across the Athletic uh, NBA Podcast Network. And Sam Amick, uh, the national writer at The Athletic, he, he wrote some really interesting stuff about like why does Sacramento seem to be the only team that's terrible and hasn't made a coaching change, even though they don't have a first year coach. It certainly seems like uh, Luke Walton's contract is a part of that. And the pandemic and the economic downturn, the league suffered is a part of that. So Sacramento has to just stay where it is and kind of keep pushing the course forward. And that includes Marvin Bagley. But now that he's hurt, if he's missing some time, do you think that would be a blessing in disguise for them? With everything going, I'd rather them just have a fire sale and just kind of start from scratch, see what they can get, you know, move Buddy, move Harrison Barnes, and just pack it in. It hasn't been a great year for them, and I think at least out of the positives, they can get something to move towards the future to to work around Halliburton and, um, and Fox. If you're a team in the trade market, would you want to go after Buddy Heald, the guy that obviously has been a knockdown shooter, but has also had a lot of issues with closing out games and just fitting in with the program? Yeah, I mean, no question. Absolutely. Buddy Heald is still a gamer, still can contribute to a team and is effective. And I think if he gets in the right situation, he'll get in line and just kind of, you know, try to fit in and win. I mean, he's a competitor at the end of the day, and I think that culture in Sacramento just kind of carried over and you know, I don't think he's had to answer to anyone or he respects someone in that in the locker room. I think that, you know, again, everybody feels like they're the one. It's just a bunch of money being made by a bunch of young players, but no real tutelage. So if he ends up in another roster, I think with a role, he'll be very effective still. 
We've waited two long years for an NCAA tournament, and that wait is finally coming to an end. This year's Big Dance has arrived, and the Athletics College Basketball crew is here throughout the tourney, bringing you the Dingu, presented by BetMGM. We're covering all the action, both on the court and at the sportsbook, with analysis from our college basketball reporters and betting insight from BetMGM's top bookmakers. The Dingu streams live on the Athletics YouTube page through the tournament. Missed the live stream? Good news. Every episode also runs as a podcast on the Daily Ding feed. Let's get to the news, and we had another Shams Charania inside pass drop over on The Athletic with lots of trade rumors. we got to start with the 35-year-old P.J. Tucker, who we mentioned before. And like we said before, there, uh, there are a lot of teams in hot pursuit. we got the Bucks, the Heat, and the Lakers, and, of course, the Nets, because if there's a guy out there, the Nets are going to be interested. So where do you think Tucker is a best fit for, and would you, if you're one of these teams, would you be willing to give up you know, a real asset of value to bring him in? Well, according to Shams, t- the Nets do not want P.J. As far as the – I can see him with the Bucks or the Los Angeles Lakers if they swing out and miss – but he seems to tend to be like not everyone's number one prime objective. I think he is more of an option three than anything on team's list because I think the Lakers are narrowing down on Drummond and Whiteside. And then also uh, the Nets solely just want Drummond or in their backups, their, their backup if they miss, JaVale McGee. So it's a tough market for him right now, you know, because he wasn't playing well and then obviously – Trying to get out of Houston like the way he's done hasn't been great, but I mean, he still can offer some value to another team. I just don't know who. Why do you think there's so many teams going for guys like Drummond and Whiteside who always have like negative trade value, but then all of a sudden their names always come up when it you know when it comes to contenders looking for centers at the deadline? Well, you don't have to pay. I mean, you know, normally during those type of deals where. We just want them to stay far away. You don't want the team. The team doesn't want to lose anything, and they want to get something back. So they'll take a discount, and the player normally has lost their value. But then when the player joins, I mean, they they probably made a decent amount in their career in order to join a team that they're playing for something. And then they look like the best guy ever, you know, in a different in a different uh, organization that is used to winning or is actually winning ball games because winning cures all. That is very true. Uh, and Aaron Gordon would love to learn about that. He's been in Orlando for his entire career. I don't think they've ever made it out of the first round uh, with him there. And now he's on the trade market pretty firmly, according to Shams, with Minnesota and Portland among the teams showing interest. The guy's still only 25, even though he's been around for a while. What do you think would be an ideal situation for him? I mean, I've seen his name in Portland, but I'm really pushing for um, the Golden State Warriors. He's from the Bay Area, and, you know, I think that an athletic guy that can spread the floor is what they really need. And I've seen people say, whoa, he's not as good and da-da-da-da, and, you know, he's not better than Wiggins. But, you know, Uber makes too much, and it's like I'll part with both of those guys. Even though Wiggins is trying, he's playing good defense, and, you know, it's been kind of inconsistent on the offensive end. I mean, I would make the gamble for him. I think that Aaron Gordon still has an upside, and I think he would be fired up to play with Steph. For sure. And on a team where he doesn't have to be the primary creator, he just becomes so much more valuable. He's just completely miscast in Orlando. So hopefully he'll end up on a new team where he isn't. he's like the third or fourth option. And uh, that'll definitely be the case in Golden State. So uh, another longtime name, a lot older, 10 years older, I think, LaMarcus Aldridge. The Spurs are exploring trades for him. 
But because he's making so much money and he's so old, it just seems pretty much impossible for him to get traded because he's making $24 million. So he's probably going to hit the buyout market. And Miami, Portland, and Boston are the teams that are the leading suitors. So what do you think is up next for Aldridge? I seen him linked to Boston, but I could see a reunion in Portland. I mean, I think he's aware, you know, and not trying to go the big dog route now anymore because Dame's actually the guy. And I think that, you know, older LaMarcus takes the back seat and, you know, I think they can kind of mend it and, and do something special there. And I know that they have Nurkic and Collins, but maybe they're on their way out. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But I mean, I do just, they have Collins? He hasn't been healthy in like two years. Well, I so. mean, not like that, but yeah. I'm just saying using as a trading piece, you know. But at the end of the day, who knows? I mean, I would love to see those two um, play together. But then, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing LaMarcus in uh, Dallas. So either or, you know, those 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 are different teams that he can end up. That'd be amazing if he ended up in Dallas of all places after all the, you know, all the talk about him going to Dallas over the years. He ends up there for what's probably going to be the swan song. That'd be pretty interesting. Our last game of the evening, the Clippers beat the Mavs 109-99 to with a nice little run there at the end when it got to a two-possession game. Kawhi did it all. He had a really solid game, 22 points, eight boards, seven dimes, four steals. That defensive pressure at the end was huge. And the Clippers, they had some great defensive possessions at the end of this game to force what I think was like three or four misses from deep from Dallas. Dallas just couldn't even get into their offense at the very end of this game. And you can see Luka was hyperactive in this game right up until about the last two and a half minutes where he just missed a couple shots and didn't really pull anything off. But so this Clippers defense seems to be getting for real after their offense has been great so far this year, Trey. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers are doing what they can do. I mean, they've never been kind of like in the bad. They were quietly playing well, you know, when all the tension were on Brooklyn and, you know, Utah. And now, you know, they're beating teams that they're supposed to beat. Kind of interesting tonight, you know, because obviously Luka had a little early fall trouble and things of that nature and could have potentially, you know, if things went bad, possibly would have fouled out in the fourth. But I never had any like um, like concerns about the Clippers besides them paying Luke Kennard all that money and not actually spending on a point guard. And that's been their biggest problem all year. Who's going to play point guard? They need a point guard that's going to shoot the basket. And realistically, I think they should call up Oklahoma and get George Hill. I mean, that seems like a pretty ideal fit. And, you know, you don't need a point guard that's going to be running pick and roll 100 times a night. So George Hill seems like the kind of guy. Hey, credit to Reggie Jackson. He's uh, He definitely has revived his career to a certain degree. But I, I think I agree with you. He's a little miscast in being the starting point guard here. But this was a pretty really domineering performance from Kawhi at the end. He was you know, really, really kind of seemed to have his fingerprints all over the game at the end here. Do, do you feel like this team has a pretty good kind of dichotomy and kind of, you know, everyone is organized around Kawhi and that's working for them? Yeah, I think that I think that's why it works more so. Everybody put the blame on Doc, you know, and I, I don't see any, I don't see too much change. Like, it's not like it's just a crazy just, you know, a few sets, you know, Coach Lou is doing it his way. But it's going to be real interesting if they match up with, you know, Denver or. Uh, the Lakers early on. 
No, <laughs> if they get the Lakers early on, that's going to be really fascinating. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. So don't forget about all of our other podcasts here on the Athletic Podcast Network. We have No Dunks, House of Strauss, obviously the Athletic NBA show, which gives you a ton of Trey himself uh, and all of our local pods as well. Don't forget to go to theathletic.com slash ding to be able to get a great deal. We have lots of great deals going on right now at The Athletic. Don't forget to read my coverage, obviously, of the Celtics beat and the NBA beat. And that is going to do it for today's show. Trey, what are the what is the one word that we say twice at the end of every show? Ding, ding. <laughs>